Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. The excitement is brought to you by BuyProxy.com. This is interesting. It's a complimentary commercial real estate listing service, and plus they have a customized suite of marketing tools available, and you do pay for those. It's called BuyProxy, B-I-P-R-O-X-I.com. Check them out. Well, today we're talking about retail, retail real estate and retailers. Please welcome my next guest. It's Beth Azor. She's with Azor Advisory Services, and she's joining us on Skype. Beth, uh, good to talk to you again. Good morning, Michael. Happy New Year. How are you? Same to you. Very good. So I'd like to know, Beth, what you're seeing for tenant profitability right now. How are the retail tenants doing? And, And what are you seeing for retail tenant demand today? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, there's a difference between, I think, the national tenants and the mom and pop tenants. I have a portfolio of six shopping centers, about 150 tenants. And I will tell you, for the first time in a long time at the at mid-December, I had zero delinquencies, not one tenant in the entire portfolio, mom and pops or nationals were delinquent in their rent or late. And uh, I don't know when the last time that was. You know, I know we keep hearing in the industry and in the newspapers and, you know, on the news channels that a correction might be coming. But I look at how healthy my tenants are. And uh, to not have one single delinquency in, in, again, my small portfolio is pretty amazing. That's amazing. And now you're headquartered and Fort Lauderdale, right? So what, what also are you seeing for tenant demand and, and vacancy around in the markets you work? Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I think that occupancy is at an all-time high in the markets that are strong. So in South Florida, the strong markets are the markets with high income, uh, high population, uh, young, younger age demographics, double, you know, dual working population. So the more, the the more um, demographic areas that are an older population, maybe more retirees has significantly more vacancy, but, but the middle to higher income is the highest occupancy and the lowest vacancy again in probably six to eight years and the highest rents and the tenants uh, have a huge demand in going into those markets, those high income, you know, population areas, because the 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 consumer that has uh, the high higher income has higher disposable income, and then what you definitely see the correlation with higher sales, and with higher sales, there's you know that's where the tenants want to be. Right. Well, that makes sense. So there's been a big push to tenants that give you an experience, and one of those experiences is eating, right? It's dining. Um, what do you see for retail and, and, and tenants that are in the restaurant business and, and food courts and that sort of thing? And of course, that was big in the mall days, right? And then we're seeing some of these new projects that, uh, that they do have a lot of food. What, what do you see in your area? Yeah, uh, I would say uh, 10 years ago, if you had a shopping center, you would limit your food to about 15 to 20 percent of your projects, and uh, you did that, you know, just because that was historical. But you also did that 
because your co-tenants, some of your anchor tenants, would preclude you from adding to that percentage. Today, projects are being built or even acquired and redeveloped. You're seeing food go to 40 to 50 percent, which is crazy. Uh, but the tenants and the restaurants are the, the tenants that are providing the experience and doing the sales. I have a small 42,000 square foot center. I have six restaurants uh, combined. They're doing over $10 million in sales for my restaurants. They're, you know, they're, they're like a mini anchor. Uh, but you also are seeing, which I think is going to be disrupted in the next year to 18 months, is all of the food halls that are being developed across the country. I mean, in South Florida alone, we have over 10 being developed. We probably should have two or three. So uh, I think that that, you know, it's a fancy, you know, uh, way to do things, but they can't all make it. And the cost of managing those and uh, reinventing the concept and bringing and the marketing that you need to bring people to bring the traffic to make those successful, I think we're going to have, unfortunately, a lot of empty food halls around the country, uh, which is, you know, will have to be redeveloped and repurposed into something else. Right, right. That makes sense. In some markets, it seems like we're getting too many restaurants, but they seem to be doing well, certainly doing well right now. Well, retailers today, we're, we're often concerned that they are omni-channel marketing, that they're using social media, that they're using a lot of technology. And before the show, uh, you mentioned a term called frictionless commerce. Tell us about that. Sure. So, you know, Michael, I'm sure you've, you've done your share of Uber rideshare, yes? Yes. So I was at the ICSE in New York last a couple of weeks ago, and I can't tell you how many, you know, sometimes the taxi was more available than the Uber. So I'd jump in the taxi and I'd go to my next destination and I would be hopping out of the taxi and the driver would go, excuse me, you need to pay. You need to pay. You know, we're so used to this frictionless way of doing commerce that makes it, you know, time is our commodity, right? We can't, that's one thing we can't buy. So if the, if the uh, retailer can provide us with an experience that's frictionless, meaning we've paid in advance, we don't have to stop what we're doing, get out our credit card, get out cash, wait for the change. Uh, you know, we're buying time. I, I um, you know, Amazon Go is experimenting with this uh, throughout the Northwest where they are opening stores and no one pays for anything. They, you walk in, they, you know, Big Brother immediately registers that you've got a credit card in your pocket that you've pre-registered with Amazon Go. You buy your items. For, it's you know some miracle. I've not been in one yet, but they scan the items and walk and you walk out of the door. So uh, another example is Shipped or Instacart, where you sit at home and you're or you're at work and you go to the app and you order the you know ten things you order every week. You know milk, orange juice, eggs, bacon, whatever the, those things are, and a delivery person delivers it to your house. And again, you've prepaid and pre-ordered. It's frictionless. I see that trend with retailers becoming, you know, a year from now, there will be way more people doing that because it saves the consumer time. And if you, if you can take an Uber instead of a taxi because you save some, you know, some time, you're going to do that. Yeah, that's a good point. And the other thing I've seen about having uh, groceries delivered and things is it also might even save you money because you're right. not in there doing those impulse buys, right? 
<laughs> Absolutely. My, my grocery bill since I started using SHIP is down about 150 a month. So what do you see, Beth, related to automobiles and parking requirements here? You're talking now about some of these uh, uh, grocery stores and things really being um, used as distribution points and, and deliveries and, and uh, people that are being are going in and out of these places with the Uber. Like I, I left the restaurant the other night. Uh, I, had, I was delivered there and I, I went home in Uber. I didn't use a parking spot. Well, what do you see day to day related to that in your business? Sure. And, and I, I would say, Michael, that this will be the biggest disruptor in the retail industry over the next three to five years. Uh, I think that because of rideshare, I'm already lobbying my municipalities that my five to one parking ratio is too high. Now, if they will, you know, and I, I, I feel that I'm going to lobby them now so that in two years they'll all come around. I will have to provide a drop-off and pickup area at my centers, but if I can add another restaurant, if my restaurants are doing so well and I can add another restaurant in my property because my parking ratios have been adjusted for the rideshare, that would be a good thing for me. But a, a lot of changes are going to happen. I think that car dealerships, you know, my girlfriend actually, and she happens to be a director of real estate for a, a major coffee retailer, she just bought her daughter a car in a, from a vending machine from a company called Carvana. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of Carvana? I have. A amazing. So, and she even wanted to use her car, the car dealership she'd bought in three or four cars from in the past, called that car dealership and said, look, I'm about to buy a car in a vending machine. Can you match this deal? And the car dealership could not match the deal. And the car was delivered to her house. Again, talk about removing friction. Just buying a car is, you know, makes you think friction. So I think car dealerships, you know, there's going to be some available redevelopment opportunity with car dealerships that are located on Maine and Maine. Because I think people, my, my home, my house, I'm down to one car. When I was growing up, I had a car. My parents both had a car. You know, my son, who's... 18 and my other one who's 15 about to be 16 there they prefer uber budgets over you know owning a car and paying insurance and frankly it's safer you know as a mother as well so i think car dealerships will be affected i think parking garage income i've already had friends developers in metropolitan cities like dallas i mean like um, washington dc tell me that their parking garage income is down 30 percent and if, the, if that's a budgeted item that, they're ex, that they've been expecting for the last 10 years, that's a huge disruption. I think auto parts, tires, I, you know, I, I just think this is a, a part of, our, of the retail industry where these retailers are, are using main and main pieces of real estate that will be available in the next three to five years. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you're right, especially with the ride sharing and and uh, we can rent cars now if we need one uh, from, from an individual. Um, and Beth, you mentioned that you were lobbying municipalities where your properties are to see if you can add uh, additional restaurant maybe on the, on the property. Are you talking about adding additional square footage for that restaurant or converting some retail to restaurant? Converting retail. So in certain municipalities, you get capped out on your properties mm -hmm. if you have a five to one ratio because uh, restaurants in, require much more parking in a parking study for a municipality. 
So like I said, I have, I think, six restaurants at this one property. I've got restaurant you know, brokers calling me every week. Can you, you know, we'd love to put a restaurant at your property because I have a lot of daytime population around me. I have a, a college, I have a hospital. So, you know, I've got a sub shop guy doing $1.8 million in sub sales in 1,200 square feet. So I've got a very high demand location, can't add another restaurant because the parking unit, the municipality uh, attributes or assigns too much parking to restaurants. So I'm starting to lobby them to start saying, can we do a different parking study showing more of the ride share? I think it will take me a year or two, but yeah. I'm okay. encouraging all of my developer friends to start lobbying the municipalities. And maybe the parking ratio should be, you know, one per, you know, four all instead right. of five. And a final question for you, Beth. You know, these single tenant net lease restaurant properties, uh, you know, the, the Walgreens, the CVS, uh, these types of properties have always been considered very safe investments, long-term leases. Obviously, these are high credit tenants. Do you see any disruption or anything going on in the drugstore world? I absolutely do. I think with Amazon jumping in, and I think it's uh, one of the big financial institutions jumping into the pharmacy business, I think that uh, the drugstore industry is going to have a huge disruption. I think, I mean, Walgreens has already started closing hundreds of stores. And the challenge with that is uh, redeveloping a 13,000 square foot box is not as easy as redeveloping a 5,000 square foot bank branch. So, um, and there's only so many karate studios and beauty supplies and Dollar Trees that can take those over. So I, I'm a little concerned about that industry. I don't think it's a safe investment like it used to be. Uh, and, I, you know, I see those getting knocked down. They're great main and main locations, but I do think there's that anyone that owns those, um, even though the, the, the drugstores will continue to pay rent until their, you know, their leases expire, but I don't see, I, I see the, the landscape of drugstore real estate changing significantly over the next few years. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Yeah, we've seen some clients uh, contact us with, yeah, they're getting the income from the drugstore, but they're dark, or maybe they've subleased, and so they're a little concerned. Well, Beth, great information. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. All right. Oh, well, stay with us. We'll have more on retailers and retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Bomi International. For facilities and property management education, visit bomi.org. Buyproxy.com. Your global commercial real estate listing service. Visit buyproxy.com. Red IQ. Turning multifamily data into actionable intelligence. Visit rediq.com.